1: Live in the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, clicking away to a record Cyber Monday. Nearly $10 billion worth of sales getting rung up online. But is it ka for all the retailers? The desk breaks down the winners and the losers. Plus, Roku hits a roadblock. Why, analysts and Morgan Stanley just cut their rating on the once-soaring streaming stock. And later, ExxonMobil was once the most valuable company in the United States. And while it may be far from those highs, one analyst is betting on a big comeback. Can it pull off a turnaround? But we start off with a less-than-jolly kick kickoff to what's traditionally the best month of the year for stocks, the Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ, all sliding on weakness in manufacturing and continued trade tensions. So will we get that Santa Claus rally this year, or has the Grinch taken control of this market wow. guy?
2: <laughs> Take <laughs> it. you like that.
1: I knew you like from that. Take it, No, that. I don't. I like I that.
3: I, that. That's the Santa Claus thing and then the Grinch. makes me almost as crazy oh, as, as the gobble-gobble. Gobble, gobble-gobble, really? is your then turkey? Then we'll just day? have to do it more often. You know, last night on uh, one of the networks, there was Santa Claus is coming to town. the uh, hour-long tonight version. Did Rudolph, you see that you is way. Rudolph by the way. Pardon me. Major buyer. A huge Major. buyer. I mean, it's an underrated. I I agree. With piece you. of entertainment.
0: <laughs> what can I tell you? It's
3: fantastic. But I don't think. Listen, I don't think you're going to see this rally into year-end, but I haven't thought that for a while. In the last couple days, remember there was a trading day on Friday and today, I think the market is finally starting to show some of its warts. And this trade deal that I thought was phase one was done in October apparently still isn't done, and I think that's definitely the sort of Damocles right now. I don't think anything is happening this year or early into next year. So December 15th is going to come around. I think it's going to force President Trump's hand. And I think that's very negative for the broader market. So I don't think you're going to see the rally into December 25th, which a lot of people know as Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah, ho, ho, ho.
1: Nice use of sort of dramatically yeah, out the way. Democrile. Isn't a nice We all look at right, each I other, know, kind like, of wow. surprised. Right? Yeah,
3: yeah. But when Jesuit you say, but when with all due respect,
4: forces his hand, forces his hand to up, to to, 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 act, to, to
3: absolutely go forth with, to move forward with the tariffs.
1: Except for that Axios report, which said that him signing the Hong Kong legislation was a real problem. Yeah, I mean,
2: listen. He he was in a box on that one. I, yeah. Listen, you know, when you think about tariffs, you think about really what the mechanism is. Like, you know, they've weaponized them, trying to kind of force or use them as leverage to get the sort of deal that they want. But the, really, they're an enforcement mechanism for trade deals that we have. The fact of the matter is, and I think some of the news about um, South American tariffs, we know that Europe is mm-hmm. still up in the air. We know the USMCA is still not done. You know. It's being fought on multiple fronts. So I guess that's really the issue. And then you think about the data that we had today, the manufacturing data here that was, you know, a little worse than expected. And then the Chinese data that was a little better than expected, it comes down to leverage. Who's got it right now? And I think the sooner that we get into 2020 without a phase one deal, I think you can just push the goalposts along because it really will be on the calendar of our election. And I don't think the Chinese will have any um, real inclination to do anything big.
4: I thought the market actually didn't do badly today, given that, you know, this this Brazil, Argentina, I thought that was that had the potential to be more destabilizing than it was. And when you think about November, we were up almost four percent. That's a pretty big move. So, you know, this pullback of a little less than one percent, I, I don't think it's actually a big deal at all. I, I think you're right. I think that we're going to see something bad coming out. I mean, two or three weeks ago, we were at the short strokes. Of the deal. And then we were in the final throws, which is what he said, which I think actually means near the end, not uh, near the near near a deal. But I think he meant it as near a deal. And yet here we are. Nothing. So I think you're going to be right. And that's that's going to be bad for the market.
0: Well, I mean, I, despite the Damoclesian reference here, guy, which do. was fantastic, yeah. I mean, I think this, this perilous uh, dynamic here is as much about 41, uh, sorry, in 41 sessions, we moved 10% on the S&P going into today's print. And, and you had a VIX that was 11.5 last week before we went off for gobble-gobble day. So I, I think you have a case here where the market really, did, whether they priced in a lot of the Santa Claus rally or not, you had a dynamic where we saw uh, the PMIs that were largely, I, I would say they were largely better today, but again, that stabilization dynamic is something that I think markets priced in probably a month ago when PMI started to stabilize. So um, I think in a world where the Fed is absolutely on hold, where third quarter earnings were absolutely fine, uh, people are underinvested, you have a seasonal dynamic, you have a president that for all the politics that we all know are going on Mm -hmm. has every reason to do some kind of a deal. A deal will be announced, whether it will be a real deal, whether it will be the deal the Chinese really want to sign on for, it doesn't matter. Uh, But I think it's more important about positioning and where markets move and how quickly they move. And, And again, Apple. Google. I mean, look at the leadership we've had in mega-cap companies over the last month. I think this is not a surprise. A
1: deal will be announced eventually or a deal will be announced by the end of the year?
0: A deal will be announced eventually. Eventually. And in fact, I I think it's probably good politics, if I had to guess, to not go in for a deal right here before year-end. Why do you have to? Well, that's exactly, I think that's exactly the point. I
3: think statistically or historically, if you can sort of get the market on your side by April, May... It seems as though re-election sort of in the bag. So why would he do something in December when he could string it out, he being President Trump, right. until the January, spring February. and then set himself up for possible re-election? So I think, again, I, I'm a, I don't sit in his meetings, but my sense is he's willing to take the pain in the short term for the market to be able to do something in the spring and then him set himself up for re-election next fall. So was it simply... Fall.
1: Profit taking uh, in a market where the risk reward is to the downside at this point going to year end is that why we saw, for instance, technology yeah. sell off the hardest? Well, I, I, think, that, I think there's
5: a
2: couple the things in technology. I mean, you know, you talk about some of this mega cap leadership. You know, Apple is is, is a stock that's getting very expensive to its history right now, and it's anticipating a although whole re-rating, of a lot. and that's why it's the well, market. yeah. I mean, and and so, so, so you're seeing multiple expansion for the first time in the stock yeah. ever. But you're also seeing a stock that's up, you know, seventy percent, um, and we're not certain. You know, this was a year where we saw. Negative EPS and sales growth year over year. So, you know, for this thing to outperform, let's say, whatever index or whatever market you want to place it against, that's going to be a really tough ho- road to hoe in 2020. And I'll just mention this, you know, when you look at software and you look at some of the stuff going, the valuations have gotten really stretched here, right? So these are for companies, a lot of them that still on a gap basis don't make money. So it makes sense when you have gains like this heading into the uncertainty of 2020, I think, to probably trim some profits.
0: We could be in a very yeah. different landscape next year. I-, I think that's right, but I, I also think on a day, what was today was particularly interesting because everything sold off, right? You had yeah. you had you had a sell-off in rates that I think is maybe more interesting, just because there were some headlines about the Fed maybe letting their inflation targets run, and maybe that means actually you could you could see uh, rates move a bit higher. But um, I, I agree with that um, part of the relief that comes out of the third quarter though is the fed is stuck so whether the tenure is stuck at 180 or whether it's stuck at 220 it's not going to three anytime soon and a low rate environment which means multiple expansion that's the whole dynamic and i think it's just what people are willing to pay for stocks in this environment where seemingly and i know guy believes differently and he, he may be right on this there are a lot of risks out there but people feel risks are are, are more under control
1: karen you sound more cautious than you have been. So yes. are, are you, have you been After, trimming your positions or you've just been using options to hedge?
4: Mostly using options to hedge, sold some upside mm-hmm. target calls, things like that. I mean, it's moved a lot. I still love the name, but it, it's it, it's getting it, a, a multiple re-rating is, a, you know, it's nice, but it's also a little bit scary. So you've got to sell some against that.
1: For, for more on what to expect heading into year-end, joining us now is Rebecca Patterson, Chief Investment Officer at Bessemer Trust. Rebecca, great to have you with us. Thanks. Good to be here. Um, nice. I'm going to pose the same question that we opened the show with. Uh, will we see this rally going into year-end with, po- you know, with this powerful, supposedly seasonal wind behind us?
6: And whether we like it or not, I think most of us don't like it. We are at the whim of the trade deal a bit. Um, we're seeing the short-term market reactions to every tweet that comes out on this thing. And... I agree generally with the conversation that was had that it, it would help the president's reelection chances to have this happen in the spring. I don't know if what's happening now postponing it is strategy or it's just because Navarro and Lighthizer really would prefer harder line. And then you have Hong Kong, which I don't think was strategy. I think that's just what happened. And the, the bill getting signed, the reaction, not letting military ships and, and uh, military folks go to Hong Kong. This makes it more complicated, and that alone could be a reason why this doesn't happen until the spring, beyond any strategy. But I do think eventually we get some form of a deal. I think the president and his team know a deal will be helpful to them, even if it's marketing more than reality uh, in terms of next year, getting that support under the economy. But will it happen this year? Will we get tariffs on the 15th? No idea. And I wouldn't try to trade it because I think it's almost impossible to have a comparative advantage.
1: You're mentioning in the green room that you were concerned about the additional tariffs place on uh, steel and aluminum imports from South America. Big sigh there. Oh, no, I was going to
6: my zen happy place because it, it's, it's just really unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, these are countries that are, are both, I mean, Brazil's looking a little better, but these are countries that are struggling. South America in general is struggling right now. And to, I understand we want to help American farmers. Of course we do. But to put tariffs on these countries, saying that they're devaluing their currencies, well, their currencies aren't devaluing because the government has some evil intent to make their exports more competitive. It's because of capital flight, because things there are imploding. So to put tariffs on makes their economy worse, which will make the capital flight worse, which will make the currencies fall even further. So in my opinion, this step actually made a bad problem worse even if there is some possible, maybe, benefit for American farmers. So I think the whole thing is really a shame.
2: Rebecca, back to the trade deal with China in particular. Um, what do you think is priced in? Because a few months ago we were talking about a grand deal, one and done sort of thing, and that would be the, the release, you know, the biggest impediment, let's just say, to global growth. But then we've chopped it up into threes. I, I kind of of the mindset that I think both sides would love to see a skinny phase one deal get done, and then you might not see anything else until after the election. So I guess my question is, is a phase one deal that's skinny, it's about soybeans, it's about like some... Is, is that a, a sell on the news? It, or have we already priced all that in?
6: My bias would be it is a sell on the news. I think maybe not all hope is priced in, but clearly a lot has changed from September when we've got better sentiment towards the trade deal and the PMI, the business sentiment data, has, has stabilized. All of that has helped cyclical assets, non-U.S. markets, export-sensitive markets, so some hope is priced in. If the deal is only what we expect, and maybe we roll back the September tariffs, but that's it, Does that really change U.S.-China relationships? Does that change U.S. trade relationships with South America, with Europe, with anyone else? Probably not. And then you add the uncertainty around the U.S. election and what policy shifts we could see on top of it. How would we suddenly see some sustained uptick in CapEx? I just, I, I, even if the economy stabilizes, do we get the, enough of a V-shaped recovery that changes industrial activity? I don't think that's likely. It doesn't mean I'm bearish next year. I just think your upside is going to be limited, even if we get a skinny deal.
4: So skinny let me ask deal. you, with the, skinny econi- deal. the e- economic Santa. data yeah. being somewhat tepid today, I was surprised to see the bond market sell-off somewhat Do you i mean where do you think the fed is why do you think it's sold off i i i forget and i apologize who made the comment earlier
6: was it you tim that the feds done we're not going to see any any more sure. hikes certainly for the foreseeable future but probably not more cuts either unless things get materially worse the new inflation regime rolls out next year What happened in the bond market today there are days where i say well there might have been a corporate deal there might have been a one-off position being hedged for year-end on a single day i don't always think i can make sense of each correlation but i would say in general when you see bond yields rise and the dollar weakens normally that's happening in an environment where people are more bullish on global growth right so all bond yields around the world go up And the dollar goes down because U.S. capital goes overseas in search of more attractively valued foreign assets. We saw that during the whole era of the BRICS. So you had rising U.S. yields, Mm -hmm. but a weakening dollar as capital moved overseas and U.S. current account deficit got better. I'm not suggesting that's what happened today. But if you're looking, what's the environment where we could see that sustained relationship, weaker dollar, higher yields? But basically, you want strong, synchronized global growth. A trade deal could help us with that. Um, big fiscal stimulus out of Germany. I don't think it's coming anytime soon, but that could help with that. Uh, But other than that, I don't know what that catalyst is. Japan and U.K. stimulus is coming next year, but that's just to take a bad situation and try to make it neutral.
1: Rebecca, great to see you. Thanks Always for good by. to see you, too. Rebecca yeah. Patterson.
6: Yes, big fan of the claymation. You have to be, right? I All mean, claymation.
1: Rankin, uh, claymation Rankin is really best. underrated. Best, yeah. I mean, oh, who needs CGI when you can have claymation, right? Oh, you're kidding. Of course. Right? Yes. It's, to- it's superior. Let me tell you say something.
3: Santa Claus has
1: come into town. Outstanding. And but Rudolph tonight, tonight. Also claymation tonight. but I, it, yes, Much like Stairway to Heaven, Star- which
0: probably got the number one uh, song in a lot of the, the, the weekend Thanksgiving mm-hmm. countdowns, most... Over underrated, overrated song. I think Heat Miser, Snow Miser.
3: By the way, relative because it was given too much credit. by the way, whatever.
1: sorry. Had to end on that. Happy note. Thank you. Thank you. You to- she
2: said something really interesting, other than the claymation bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she said, talking about this potential stimulus in the U.K. and Japan, that's sort of taking a bad situation and kind of making it stable. And I think that's something that I think we have to look back at what happened in the last few months here in the U.S. When you th- think about these three rate cuts, you think about QE4 that did happen. Our friend uh, Peter Buchbar, who, you know, he says the Fed just fixed that inverted yield curve. That's what they did. And then the repo thing was like kind of quiet QE. I mean, when you think about here, we have an S&P up 25%. You know, things might have gotten really ugly this year if we hadn't had that. The dollar was trading at multi-year highs, you know. So, I I mean, at the end of the day, I think you can look at the S&P and you say, all right, things were really good here in the U.S. stock market, stocks globally. But think about what it took to get here this stage 10 years in from the financial crisis. I, I mean, to me, it's very troubling. And so I just think you push out a lot of these problems by making bad situations stable at this stage of the game.
1: Coming up, they're the stocks tearing Wall Street analysts apart. Our traders will help settle the score with a traded or faded for the ages. But first, ready, set, click. It's Cyber Monday. And our own Courtney Reagan is on the front lines of the retail frenzy. Hey, Court.
7: Hi there, Melissa. Today is expected to be another record day online. And that's after we set record after record last week. Believe it or not, there's a lot of shopping still left to do tonight. I'll explain why the peak hours are still to come. Coming up when Fast Money comes right back.
1: Welcome back to Pass Money. It's been a record couple days for online shopping. And with just a few hours left in Cyber Monday, retailers seem poised for another big haul. Let's get to Courtney Reagan with the big numbers behind one of the biggest shopping days of the year. Hey, Courtney.
7: Hey, Melissa. So I'm here at one of Walmart's fulfillment campuses. This is actually one of six that is working to fulfill all of those online orders that are coming in on cyber monday and walmart does expect that today may end up being one of if not its biggest day of the year for those online orders and so far some of their best sellers include the apple AirPods, that instapot apparently not everybody has one of those yet the ninja air fryer the vizio fifty five inch tv and the nintendo switch But in total, beyond just walmart.com, the National Retail Federation does expect that 69 million Americans will shop at some point today. You mentioned those records. Adobe is expecting this day's sales to grow about 20 percent over last year to hit 9.4 billion dollars and that's on top of the records that were already set online for thanksgiving day and black friday but what's interesting is there's still a lot of shopping that's going to be left done tonight remember in the old days when you had to get to work to use the high speed internet on your desktop computers that's when we saw peak sales much earlier in the day during work hours now it's much later at night the golden hours Adobe expects will be between 7 and 11 p.m. Pacific time. So that's 10 p.m. here on the East Coast. Once the kids are in bed and all the chores are done, that's when they think the shopping will get started. Now, of course, we are getting some preliminary data for how things have been shaping up online. Edison Trends at least analyzed about 300,000 transactions from Thanksgiving to and Black Friday. And they say that Nordstrom is actually seeing the biggest increase in customer spending online compared to last year with a 60 percent jump. Walmart close behind with 53 percent and then Amazon with 49 percent. Target, however, and JCPenney, those spending online numbers from these transaction samples fell about 12 and 14 percent respectively. So we still have an awful lot of shopping and time left to go. And we know we still have a decent season left, even though it is six days shorter. So be careful when you're ordering online and you're looking at those shipping dates. Just a little buyer beware from meteor. Back over to you, Melissa. All right,
1: Courtney, thanks for the tip. Courtney Reagan, um, what are you doing over there? is your, is, your, of, is, your mo, was, is your modem on the Fritz I was home? one of those
3: people that, Courtney, when when you go to the work for the high-speed Internet, I'm one of those. That's what yeah, I'm, that's what you're doing. What I'm doing right now. Your so, so I'm answering your oh. question. If you want to have a conversation about retail, I can do that as well. I would like that very much. So. Can you still buy 8-track tape players? A hundred percent funny you should say that yeah. retail look the, the trades are interesting costco reports on december 12th it's had a huge run but now valuations in the way it trades at 32 times next year's numbers we've been bullish on it. carter braxton worth who appears every friday on the options action which will be back this friday after being usurped this past week by the holiday he talked about this stock for the last six months he's been correct i think you got to sell it into earnings target catching up to walmart finally on valuation but Walmart at 23 times, which is sort of the benchmark for everything, in my opinion, is just too expensive in this environment.
4: One thing I don't know if we break out is buy online, pick up in store, which I think is a really... a, a re- big difference. It's a very big difference. It's margin, yeah. Right? And, and you invariably buy something else when you're there, right? So uh, that's one interesting part. I think, you know, Target cited that number of other ones do. I, I think there's going to be retail winners here. We've seen some of the ones that don't work, right? I don't know if Macy's can turn it around. I think um, I'm not optimistic on that one, but I, I do think that Jade I, I do think Nordstrom has a much better chance. It's a much better chance, and even though the stock's more expensive, I'd rather be in a Nordstrom than a Macy's.
1: Both of those stocks, extreme, extremely high short, uh, short interest, yes. Yes. 30% about for and, each. And, yes, and
0: we just got numbers out of Nordstrom, and and they were fine, although if you look at, you know, again, their, their, their full price versus their off-rack or their sale price, you know, two very different stories perpetuating the story. They get a little boost out of their New New York flagship store, adding some, some gross margin. But you know, when you look at Target and, and Walmart, I would go back to those because I think they've been such great stocks for people to own over the last 12 months. But uh, the, the relative victory, the Delta in their online sales growth has been so extraordinary and so priced in and so much the part I think what people said when they said, guess what? Target's not going to be Amazon. And, and that's exactly part of why the stock has done so well. So it's hard for me to say that that's not in the price. I think the bar for both of those folks into this holiday season is very, very high.
1: Amazon has been targeted, or Walmart did. (laughs)
2: Yeah, well, no, it has. I mean, listen, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's important to remember that Amazon, while they get about 50 uh, percent of the, the online sales growth that exists out there, you know, online sales are still 10 percent or less of the total five trillion of U.S. consumer sales. So there's plenty. I think that's why Amazon is kind of stalled here. Some of these guys have made some really good progress. They made some investments over the last couple of years that took some time to kind of bear out. And they're starting to do that. I'll just say one name to keep an eye on. Home Depot, you know, had that gap after earnings a couple of weeks ago and it kept on going, I think about a 9.5% peak to trough decline. It started to bounce last week a little bit, looked pretty good technically coming off of a trend line. That thing turned lower. Um, Keep an eye on that one because I just think that there's a lot of concentration in some of these mega big uh, big box names and these home improvement stocks that have really outperformed. But if you look at the XRT, which is a broader look at all of retail, it's only up 10% in the year, really underperforming the S&P. So I want to keep an eye on some of these other ones that are very crowded. And I think, guys, Costco, the way it reacts to earnings and their guidance will be very important for the
1: retail space. All right. For more on this year's Cyber Monday, winners and losers, head on over to CNBC.com. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on FAST.
5: The most divisive stocks on Wall Street. We take a look at the names where analysts' opinions are most divergent and break down which side has the best argument. And later, the clock is ticking for Boeing as it races to get the 737 MAX back in the air. Why December could be a make-or-break month for the aircraft maker. We've got all that and more coming up on Fast Money.
6: Summer.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Uh, The president tweeting just moments ago saying the Fed uh, should lower interest rates to make the U.S. more competitive. And then manufacturing would soar. The dollar is very strong relative to others. So that's just coming up.
0: Well, that's interesting. So, so again, there were headlines out there. The FT ran an article and it talked about how the the Fed should let their inflation targets run. So if the Fed doesn't believe that there's any inflation, conceivably, they certainly don't need to raise rates. There are some that could say... The monetary policy is too tight. I am not one of them, but certainly the president is one.
1: All right, let's get to this big battle that's brewing on Wall Street. Among a handful of well-known companies, names like GE, Uber, Facebook, and Lyft are just some stocks where Wall Street analysts remain deeply divided. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Tesla is the biggest battleground stock with a low-end analyst price target of $190 a share, the high-end coming in at a whopping $949. Wow. Who's that? Um, you can check out the full list of, of stocks on our website. Um, but we asked this question here, you know, because this got us thinking.
0: Mm, we like to think here.
1: How divided yeah, is our desk on these very same names? To find out, we thought it would be a perfect time to play a game of... Trade it or fade it. That's right. <laughs> Since you know all the rules, and these guys are so good at the rules here, Sometime let's yeah. get right to Roll it with in. the rideshare player. Price target of 96 on the high end, $35 on the low end. So, Tim, trade or fade, lift.
0: Again, I, I'm trading this one, so let's get out there right away. I know the rules. I know how to play the game. I, I think we've had a bit of a renaissance in the stock. In fact, it's rallied 30% off the bottom. I, I think the expectations were reassessed, but I think the profitability expectations of 4Q 2020 may still be very heavy. Either way, I, I think we still haven't really proven profitability in this name, and I still think there are structural issues. Even though relative to Uber, it looks better. I'm, I'm fading.
2: Uh, I've been a trader in this name since like the low 40s, late 30s. Yeah, listen, I just think that, you know, there's going to be you can't take all of these 2019 tech IPOs and throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think there's going to be some winners. Obviously, there's some that have done really well. I just think among the big ones, right, the ones with real market caps. So to me, I think this thing, if it can stabilize here somewhere in the 40s, I think you probably see this thing trade up early in 2020, maybe back towards that IPO price. I'll play the game correctly, Melissa. Do so you would know say, how to
1: play the game correctly? Yes, I do. Yes, okay. Why do you say it as if you Just typically wondering.
0: don't? Because he typically sometimes, doesn't. There's so many different games. to us. <laughs> there's Please. so and many
3: different Sometimes it gets confusing. <laughs> okay. Trade it. Okay. Play the graphic. You know what that means. I do know okay, what good. that means. All and right. if you look, the last two quarters, I think, have been pretty good. If you remember, over the summer, this was a $60 stock. They told us about the pathway to profitability. It was trading 63 in the after hours. Then they talked about the lockup coming up in late August, if you recall, 290 or so million shares. You had Uber a week or so later, and the stock cratered. I think you can see the stock back to that 63 level. As a matter of fact, a company called Loop Ventures, I believe, just upgraded the stock and put a $62 price target on it.
8: All right.
1: Let's move on. General Electric, high-end price target, $21. And then you got Steven Tusa on the other end, $5 Mm -hmm. on the price target. Karen, trade or fade GE? I'm of two minds
4: myself, but if I had to pick one, it would be trade it. Nice. I think that, you know, there's a number of good businesses there. There's a number of not-so-good businesses. There's also a ton of debt. So I think this one will go one of two ways, either up a lot or down a lot. I think they have a great CEO um there's clearly some headwinds the power business I mean aviation could be great we'll see they you know the if the Boeing the 737 max is mm-hmm. important to them we'll see how that goes uh, but I would only play it through leaps because you want to know exactly what you're gonna have at risk because it could go could turn into a faded right all
1: right on mm. right. uh, Facebook here high target of 330 low target of 120 Dan traded or faded
2: yeah listen I'm fading it here and 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 this is not an easy one here because I think expectations for this company have come down dramatically. And I think that if they can start outperforming in 2020, it's going to be a cheap stock. I will tell you that at some point in 2020 or 2021, this is going to be the poster child for ESG investing. The, 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 you may see people avoiding this thing. Sounds like you they want tobacco. You're I mean that. Of, you mean so ESG, environmental, ESG. social, and corporate governance. They're, people won't want to be they in it. They will not want to be it. They
1: sh- they're probably not in it now because yeah, of the governance. Of that's that's it, the, been the
2: story. Well, I just think that you're going to see this as an increasing trend. In asset management, and I think names like this are going to become increasingly in focus as we have just kind of avoiding some of the things that we know, that we touch, and feel that we know are damaging.
1: All right, last but not least, Wall Street's number one battleground stock, with nearly 800 bucks separating the highest and lowest price targets. Guy Dami, yes. trading or fading fade Tesla
3: it. quickly. See, bang, fade it, Mel, and listen. The stock was a hundred eighty dollars stock in June. You had that move, a straight up move in October from two fifty five or so to three and a quarter. Rarely do you see a stock move like that and not revisit it at some point. The fifty percent correction of that June low and the recent high of three eighty comes in around two seventy five or so. I think that's what it trades down to. So I understand there's a lot of. Uh, anger out there in the tesla community both bulls and bears Uh, I think the stock trades lower before it trades back to those all-time highs. So I'm in the fade-it
1: mode. All right. Three big chip names also caught in the crosshairs of Wall Street analysts. AMD, Micron, Qualcomm, all among the biggest battleground stocks out there. Check out AMD up more than 100% this year, but the lowest price target on the street implies an 80% washout. So at the end of the year quickly closing in, it's time to have the chart master settle the score on these semis. Carter's over at the Plaza to tell us who's right, bulls or bears. Carter.
5: Well, thank you for that big responsibility. not sure I can answer, but let 's try so a chart of the uh, sox index. The first thing we know is anything that moves from the bottom left to the top right of your screen is an uptrend nobody 's opinion that 's a fact it 's going up here 's the question When you have counter trend sell offs, why do they stop? Why would that stop there or stop there or stop there or stop there or stop there? Is that random? Is that a DCF or a PEG ratio or enterprise value EBITDA? No, it is not. We know it stops because trend lines matter. And each one of those stopped to the penny, to the penny, to the penny, to the penny, to the penny. Maddening or happy, you can interpret however you want. It's real. It happens a lot. The uptrend's intact. And what I think you're going to get is your next dip to trend. So keep in mind that line and keep in mind this line. Two reference points, the uptrend as well as the level from which you broke out. Those both coalesce around a certain level, 1,600. And were we to get this, and I think that's exactly what we're going to get, you're talking about another 4.5% from here. We're down about 3.75. we we'll five. We'd be about an 8% drawdown for the stock. So I think that's kind of in the cards, and there's almost no way around that. But more importantly, uh, this is the issue with this very popular part of the market. The peak in performance is not here. We know it's gone up and up and up and up. But its relative performance peaked two years ago. In fact, last chart, it peaked on the 27th of November, 2017. Here we are past the 27th of November, 2019. Meaning choosing semis relative to other choices within technology has been wrong uh, on a relative basis, i.e. alpha generation, for two years. Is that about to change? I wouldn't think so.
1: Carter, you got to come on over. Bring him in. Will will bring uh, the chair in. You know, will got show. a haircut over the holiday weekend. He looks outstanding, haircut. Yeah.
3: fine-looking haircut. Sir? You
1: probably got it because Get he was going here. to bring the chair over.
3: I got one, too. Great point by you, Mel. Um
1: Does does the does the socks at least hold the trend line?
5: I would say that's a, that's the first bet you make, meaning when you approach a trend line from below or above, you make the bet that what's been in play will continue. When you breach the line to the upside or downside, then you have to flip it around and go the other way. But on the approach of that line, and again, that would be about an 8% sell-off, mm-hmm. likely to hold.
1: How about a name like, an, like AMD?
5: Well, so of those three, I mean, uh, uh, AMD, uh, my, my favorite is Qualcomm. I mean, I think of all the ones right here, it's had a, a big push to high and a nice dip. Uh, least favorite, Micron. AMD sort of in the middle.
0: Carter, if you look at the SMH or the semis, the stocks, mm. relative to the S&P,
5: well, and see that making you, new... I, I know you didn't, <laughs> no, I but I'm know, doing but it for folks that are yeah, playing sure, the market sure. and
0: wondering whether chips and semis and high cyclical stocks should still be the place they played because it is yeah. setting you up. So
5: I specifically obviously did it to that to maybe yep. make my case, but there are two ways to interpret that. Obviously, semis are outperforming the market, but then consider this. It was such a run-up. Into dot com and such a collapse, here are the numbers since the actual peak. So that was March 10th, it was a Friday, 2000 to present. Semis, the SOX index is up 27%. The SP is up 123 Now, being up 27% over 19 years, you know what that's called? Adjusted for inflation, you're still not back to where you were. So long term, it really hasn't been a particularly good thing. Day to day, I think probably semis are better than the market.
1: Thank you. Carter, thank you. Thank you. Good to see you. Carter Braxtonworth coming up. It's a big month ahead for Boeing with the fate of its 737 Max planes still unclear. We'll break down the key things to watch from the plane plane maker, and later a rough ride for Roku to start off the week. Is this a sign the stock's meteoric rise might be coming to an end? Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Boeing shares sinking on the first trading day of the month, and it's a huge month ahead for the plane maker. Let's get to Phil LeBeau in Chicago with the details. Hi, Phil.
9: Hey, Melissa. It starts with a big week this week. There are a couple of things going on with the 737 MAX. Let's start first off with human factors testing. And You might be saying, well, what is that all about? That is where Boeing will bring in a number of line pilots. The FAA is also part of this as well. And they're going to be in the 737 MAX simulator. They'll check out the new MCAS flight control system. There will be some warnings that are thrown out at the pilots in different scenarios. Basically, they want to see how the pilots react to the changes that are being made with the plane. At the same time, this week out in Renton, Washington, Boeing is beginning briefings with people they deem as aviation industry influencers. This is a charm offensive. These are people who Boeing believes will ultimately be interviewed, quoted on the subject, who will be able to say, yeah, I think they've made a lot of the changes. Everything's going well. Those are two events going on this week. What about everything that needs to happen in order to get the MAX certified? Remember, Boeing has been saying for some time it believes it can get recertified by the end of the year. Well, look, they still have the certification flight. That's likely happening in the middle of this month. By the way, there's a report after that. Most believe that's not going to happen until the end of the year. Pilot training rules have to be written. That may not happen until early January. And by the way, after they write those, there is a 15-day comment period. Bottom line is this, when I talk with people in the industry, when I talk with people at Boeing, while Boeing won't come out and say it, there is a sense that we're looking at certification more and more getting pushed into January and unlikely to happen in December. A couple other things, you might be saying, well, why isn't the stock moving dramatically lower if they're not going to hit the target by the end of the year? Most analysts have price targets far higher because of the production schedule for next year, Melissa. That schedule has not shifted, and as long as it doesn't shift you're likely looking at a stock that's going to be staying in this trading range. At least that's the expectation. Don't forget, that production schedule, Melissa, calls for them to ramp up max production starting in the spring, going all the way through the end of the year with a dramatic increase in, in production, provided that they finally get this thing recertified.
1: We're talking only about the U.S. time frame, though, correct, Phil? I mean, the fact of the matter is that there needs to be international buy-in to the, the sign-offs uh, for the Boeing 737 sure. MAX.
9: Sure. Well, the expectation is the FAA, because the, because Boeing is based here in the U.S., the FAA has to go first. So whenever the FAA says, you're good to go, let's say it's the first week of January or the third week of January, whenever that is, the expectation is you get the Canadians, you get a number of other countries that will follow very quickly, I mean, within a matter of days, then EASA, likely the Europeans within a couple of weeks. The big question mark is how long will it take before the Chinese government says, okay, we think the max is good to go. Nobody's quite sure here if it's going to take a month, two months. I mean, China has expressed some reservations, but whether or not they say, okay, let's delay how long it takes before we're okay with the plane, that remains to be seen.
1: And, and where is the biggest portion of its backlog? I mean, we're, Oh, where China. Are the... China, okay. China is the, so, well, so the,
9: biggest, no. the biggest percentage uh-huh. in terms of, of their backlog. Um, but and it, you know, I would say what twenty five percent of their revenue comes from uh, planes that they're shipping off to China. So China really is the big enchilada for Boeing. Now nobody is expecting the China Chinese government to say oh, we're never going to recertify this. It's just a matter of how long it takes after the FAA right. before China's aviation authorities say okay, you're good to go.
1: Okay, Phil. Thank you, Phil Lebeau in Chicago. You bet. In the context of a trade war. <laughs> China, this could really be a thorn in, in the U.S. aside for China to say, you know what, we're going to hold off and we're going to make Boeing not deliver or ramp up production of 737 in a timely fashion. Well,
0: it's so you're bringing up the demand side of this because we continue to try to talk about supply and what they're going to get out. Meanwhile, there's 400 planes in inventory, and that's probably really what 2020 is all about. And I still think they're going to get out there uh, in the first quarter of 2020, which the companies recently also, I, I thought they're, Guidance or their expectation management in terms of what they have to do, these four or five things that are still yet to be completed, including pilot training, which could be at the longest tail on it. But, um, you know, I'm long the stock. I mean, I I think there's a lot of bad news in the stock. People could say, hey, how could this stock be still up 10 percent this year with all this uncertainty? And that's the other side of this trade. I think the answer to that question, how is the stock still up, is because
3: the market's bailed it out to a large extent. I mean, up until say you have an S&P 500 at all-time highs. So I think that's part of it. Also, I mean, we've talked about this. I get a lot wrong. This one we got right. I think, you know, we said 375, the move to the upside. Once it gets there, you fade it. And that's proven to be right. If you go back and look in March when this all started happening, that's where it traded down to. The 375 level, it sort of vacillated between 330 and 375. Now at 3.55, I still think the risk is lower. At a certain point, though, it makes sense again, and that probably comes in around the 3.30 level. The
1: clarity around the story, though, is much greater today versus two months ago.
4: Yes, and it's much closer to hopefully when it's right.
1: resolved, both, right? So we so start it's looking past, we start looking Look. Past.
4: I mean, maybe we talk about going down less and less on bad news each time, although the tra- your, your point about the trade war, I don't know where going to China going to go, to ramp up a giant Airbus order? would take a long, long time, I would think, right? Uh, but it, at this multiple, it's not like it's dirt cheap. It's cheap relative to where it had been. I don't know, I think he could wait.
0: Really quick, the yeah. most one thing about the story people aren't paying attention to is the impact on the airlines. I think this is yeah. more important than Boeing itself when you consider capacity and how people trade the airline stocks.
1: Up next, shares of Roku falling hard in today's trading session. We'll tell you what's got investors streaming out of that stock. Plus, energy is still the worst-performing sector this year, but Wall Street's betting on a big breakout for one stock in the space. We'll give you the name and how to trade it when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got breaking news just crossing. Trade tensions appear to be escalating with France. Let's get to Kayla Tashian in D.C. for details. Kayla.
8: Melissa, released just out from the U.S. trade representative, says that the U.S. is considering tariffs on 63 different products that France exports to the U.S., uh, totaling about $2.4 billion in imports uh, as a response to France's digital services tax, which USTR says uh, inordinately hurts Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon and other U.S. tech companies. Uh, this list uh, could see tariffs up to 100 percent on those products, but like all all of these processes ustr is asking for companies affected to submit comments on exactly how they would be affected and there will be hearings on this matter but after that process concludes in mid-january ustr could put these tariffs into effect tariffs up to 100 percent on 63 different products and ustr uh, robert lighthizer says in this release that the decision today sends a clear signal that the united states will take action against digital tax regimes that discriminate or otherwise impose undue burdens on U.S. companies. This is something that uh, the U.S. had been telegraphing it would do for the last several months. Uh, but certainly, Melissa, the fact that it has done it uh, certainly ratchets up those tensions. Any
1: idea of what sorts of uh, goods could be subject to these tariffs?
8: We're still waiting for some of those links to go live and to comb through some of these reports, but we'll get back to you when we have those details, Melissa. All right.
1: Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tausche. So, again, another uh, use of tariffs is sort of a... A weapon.
0: <laughs> well, and, and if you look at Europe, by the way, you know, Germany is down two percent today. I, I think it was a lot of it was just about this, the threat of taxes, a threat of, of, of more tariffs. But if you think about also the complications in digital tax regimes right now, and think of the imbalance in the world between U.S. mega cap technical and, and digital companies versus wh- who, who can we do that to from France? Mm-hmm. So you can't play apples to apples in terms of right. global taxation in a very uh, evolving, fluid new paradigm.
1: Karen, do you think it's going to be a big issue for
4: us? I just, I don't like the idea of us fighting on multiple fronts at the same time, right? right. I, 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 that's, uh, so, I, I mean, I, this narrow issue, I don't, it, it's a relatively minor amount of goods, right? But I don't know. I think we got a lot of things in the fire. I'd like to see. Uh, your you Louis Vuitton bag
0: sick? just went up. Uh, uh, yeah, like
4: man. 100%. Right. <laughs> I don't, anyway. it be your Tiffany
0: blue box, too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, here's the other thing. I think the
2: timing of this is kind of interesting. I think Axios was reporting this morning that Trump is getting increasingly annoyed with Macron, calling him a wise guy. They have this NATO meeting in London this week. You know, I I mean, just, I think to your point, Karen, it just doesn't make sense to pick all these fights with just everybody in the world. You know, now we're getting around to our allies. It just doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense.
1: All right, up next, the software slump will tell you how options traders are playing sales force ahead of earnings. Plus, take a look at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking about how to trade a volatile market. On the back of today's slide, he's got that and much more coming up at the top of the hour on Mad Money. In the meantime, we got much more fast money live from the Nasdaq Market Site right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The software space has been on a tear, surging nearly 8% in November. And tomorrow we'll get some clues to whether the group can keep running going into the year end. a a cloud giant, Salesforce, reports after the bell. The stock is up more than 11% since October, but it's lagged the broader software space this year, and options traders are predicting a hit when those results cross the wire. Dan is over at the plasma with the action. Dan?
2: Yeah, so Mel, really importantly with Salesforce.com, that underperformance relative to the S&P and many of its peers, I think, is pretty interesting, only up 17%. But today, options volumes was two times average daily volume, Um, and one of the trades that kind of caught my eye was just a put-buying, but let's just talk about the implied movement real quickly. 4% in the options market, that's what's implied versus about 4.5% on average over the four quarters. And so when we talk about some of this activity that we saw today, um, you know, when the stock was trading about 160 shortly after noon, there was a buyer of 5,000 of the December 150 puts paying $1.25 for those. Um, That's about 1% of the stock price there, a little less, and it breaks even down at 148.75. That's not particularly great protection. that's not particularly a great way to make a bearish bet into an event like this. But let's go to the charts really quickly and see maybe what we're kind of gearing against. I know Guy Adami thinks that this 165 level over the last year and a half or so has been massive technical resistance to the upside. The stock has had this big run, like you said, Mel, uh, but still underperforming the Nasdaq and many of its peers. But let's go to the five-year chart here. You see that resistance here. It's been unable to break out. Look at this multi-year uptrend that it's obviously been you know, a big outperformer over that period of time. But to my eye, you have some support down at 140. Um, Again, I, you know, I have no idea what those 150 puts in December are against. Maybe it's a trader who has a very um, big gain in this position over multiple years and just looking for some downside protection down to a technical level. But this is going to be an interesting one to see how this react to what I suspect are pretty decent earnings.
1: All right. Thanks for that, Dan. And the full show is back. Options action this Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Final Trade Time, Tim.
0: We've been talking about the resurgence of the energy allocation. I do think the OIH is an interesting place here with the allocation towards oil services.
1: Chairwoman. Yes, it's a Dan
4: name as well as my name. I, uh, Home Depot, I oh. like what the consumer's doing. I think we're going to see good numbers, and the stocks come in a little bit, so goodbye here.
3: Dan. Uh, SMH, I like charters charting.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, what you
3: did there. I'm inside Tim Seymour's head this evening, and I think Slumber Shades had a very nice, yeah, thank you. Tim. Weird, nice, it's little, good to have, little, have you there. SLB.
1: All right, see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.